Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 38 of the show, and it is definitely another good one. We're coming to you about a day later than we normally do throughout the week uh, due to the NFL draft not uh, taking place until Thursday, or at least the first round. So we got a full episode. We're going to get into the NFL draft. Obviously, we'll do some standings updates like normal uh, for NHL, NBA, and MLB. And uh, we'll get into some PGA Tour news as well. And that's actually where we're going to start. This past weekend's tournament was the Zurich Classic of New Orleans, which was held at TPC Louisiana in Avondale, Louisiana. The course was a par 72. Distance was 7,425 yards. And this was a, a very very interesting tournament, very cool. Uh, It was not your normal style of golf. Uh, This past weekend, it was played in a team format. And the format, so there were 82-man teams for a total of 160 golfers that took the uh, course over the weekend. Rounds one and three, so Thursday and Saturday, were four-ball, best-ball format, uh, which is where the players on each of the teams played their own ball throughout the entirety of the round, and the best score was recorded on each hole. So if one player got a birdie, one player got a par, the team would record a birdie. Rounds two and four on Friday and Sunday were foursomes, alternate shot. And for that, one player hit the tee shots on all the odd-numbered holes, one player hit the tee shot on the even-numbered holes, and they alternated shots on the hole, and they recorded the actual score that they got between the two golfers. So this was a very cool tournament to watch. Uh, definitely put a different flair on, on your golf tournament for the weekend. Uh, and this tournament was actually very good, very competitive. There were a lot of good teams, and it actually came down to a playoff hole. So the, it, was, um, it was basically Team Australia versus Team South Africa. Team Australia was Mark Leishman and Cam Smith. Team South Africa was Louis Oosthuizen and Charles Schwartzel. They both finished at 20 under par for the tournament, and they had to replay the par 5 18th hole. And in that playoff hole, uh, Team South Africa, Louis Oosthuizen, plunked their tee shot in the water, which set up Team Australia, Mark Leishman, and Cameron Smith for uh, an easy uh, victory, uh, assuming they put the ball in the middle of the fairway, which is, is that's exactly what happened. Um, Leishman and Smith ended up making par on the hole, and Ustasen and Schwartzel uh, missed a putt to save bogey. They ended up with a double bogey, which gave Team Australia the victory. So Mark Leishman and Cam Smith, they finished at 20 under with the playoff hole victory. That would, of course, make 
Team South Africa, your second place finishers, Louis Oosthuis and Charles Schwartzel. Uh, third place was Richie Wierenski and Peter Uline. They finished at 19 under par. And then we had a three-way tie for fourth place. It was Keith Mitchell and Brant Snedeker at 18 under par. Billy Horschel and Sam Burns at 18 under par. And Keegan Bradley and Brendan Steele also at 18 under par. So uh, the big, I guess, for Leishman and Smith, uh, they had to, they were uh, going into the 16th hole. They were one shot back from Oosthuizen and Schwartzel. And Leishman made an absolutely huge chip-in birdie to bring them to uh, to tie Oosthuizen and Schwartzel at the time. But then both teams would go on to uh, th- those both of those teams were playing together as a foursome on Sunday. So heading into the 17th hole, both teams were uh, were at 21 under par. And then both teams would go on to bogey the 17th hole to drop down to 20, uh, 20 under par for each team. And then they both parred 18. And then, of course, we just talked about that playoff hole, which Leishman and Smith ended up beating Oosthuizen and Schwartzel. So it was a pretty competitive tournament. Like I said, a lot of good teams. A very, uh, very unique way to watch golf. But let's check out Rick's picks to click or Rick's teams to click from this past weekend's Zurich Classic of New Orleans. The first one I gave you was Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley. It was the best team on paper. Both are top 10 golfers in the world, and they've played together uh, as a duo in the President's Cup back in 2019, and they're going to probably do so again uh, here this year in the fall at Whistling Straits. Uh, Shoffley was coming off a uh, near-major championship at the Masters, and uh, I liked for them to certainly finish inside the top 25 uh, with just their their skill set. And they did just that. They finished at 15 under par, which was good for uh, 11th, tied for 11th. So they clicked for me. My second pick to click was the duo of Team Australia, Mark Leishman and Cameron Smith. Uh, Cam Smith won this tournament back in 2017, and he was coming off of back-to-back top 10s at the Masters and at the RBC Heritage. So, uh, and Leishman, Mark Leishman also finished uh, tied for fifth at the Masters. So both guys have been playing good golf lately. Uh, they were pretty good buddies and I liked for that connection to work, and boy, did it ever, because we just talked about it. They won the playoff hole uh, to win the tournament, so they obviously clicked for me. And my third team to click was that of Colin Morikawa and Matthew Wolf, and it was basically one extreme to the other. Morikawa, he was coming off a top 10 at uh, Harbortown at the RBC Heritage, and he won about a month and a half prior at the World Golf Championship at the concession. So he's been playing pretty solid golf lately, whereas Matthew Wolf, on the other hand, has not been playing well. Um, he withdrew at that World Golf Championship at the concession, and he also finished tied for 28th at the World Golf Championship Dell Technologies match play, and then he got disqualified from the Masters for signing the wrong scorecard. So it has been a rough stretch of golf for Matthew Wolf, but uh, with Morikawa as the anchor, I kind of like for them to finish inside that top 25 and uh, they did the exact opposite. They missed the cut. Uh, they did not 
play the weekend. They finished the first two rounds at three over par, which was fourth from last. Uh, completely whiffed on that pick. Uh, not really sure. I didn't get to see them a whole lot. Uh, I watched a good amount of this tournament, uh, but I did not see Morikawa and Wolf very much on the broadcast. Uh, I would assume that Wolf probably cost them more shots than Morikawa, but I, uh, like I said, I did not see them play, so I don't know that to be a fact. But what I do know to be a fact is that they absolutely sucked, uh, so they missed for me. I did click on two of my three teams, including picking the winner. So all in all, it was definitely a successful weekend. But this weekend, the PGA Tour heads over to Palm Harbor, Florida for the Valspar Championship, which is held at the Innisbrook Resort Copperhead Course. It's a par 71, distance is 7,340 yards. This is one of those events that uh, did not take place last year because of the pandemic. Uh, it was canceled, and uh, but previous to that, this past year, in 2018 and 2019, the winner in both of those events was Paul Casey. So Paul Casey's coming into this tournament looking to win it three times in a row. Now, it's a difficult course, very difficult course. It puts a premium on positioning off the tee. So you, you need a good tee shot, a uh, lot of hazards in this course, and it's described uh, as a complete examination uh, or one of the more complete examinations of a course that the players are going to face all year. The course, well, the end of the course, the last few holes are actually nicknamed the Snake Pit. You have two difficult par fours that are sandwiched between a 215-yard par three on the 17th hole. And we have some pretty big-name players in this field. Um, I would say it's above average. A few of the top-ranked players in the world, including DJ and Justin Thomas, Justin Rose, they're going to be out there. We did have four players withdraw from this tournament due to positive COVID tests. It's Tyrell Hatton, Sepp Straka, Will Gordon, and Bryce Garnett. Now, this is the first time uh, since the PGA Tour restart from the pandemic that four players have tested positive in the same week. Uh, it's, it's spring. We're uh, a year and some change removed from the start of the pandemic, so it's kind of an odd time to have the most positive COVID tests in one week, but such is the case for this tournament. Um, but let's check out Rick's picks to click for the Valspar Championship. The first one I'm going to give you is Corey Connors. He's ranked number 38 in the world. This dude, man, I, like I said last week, you just the last month or so, every time you look at the leaderboard, his name seems to be up there. He's got four top 10s and a T14 in his last six starts, just playing outstanding golf. And in, he's only played this course once. Uh, and that was back in 2018. He finished tied for 16th after having the outright lead in each of the first three rounds of that tournament. So he was uh, all around the top of the leaderboard in that tournament and ended up finishing T16. So I like for him to finish inside that top 25 this week. My second pick to click is going to be Paul Casey. He's ranked number 20 in the world. I just mentioned him a bit ago. Prior to Paul Casey's missed cut, a couple weeks ago at the RBC Heritage at Harbortown, Paul Casey's finished inside the top 28 in his prior eight events, including a win in Dubai earlier this year. And like I mentioned, he's won this event the last two times it's been played, in 2018 and 2019. He's looking to become the first 
golfer to win the same event in three consecutive seasons since Steve Stricker did it at the John Deere Classic from 2009 to 2011. So he's, I would certainly look for Paul Casey to be inside the top 25, just based on recent performance uh, as a whole and also recent performance at this course. It would be very difficult to win three in a row, but it's been a while since it's happened, so uh, I like for Casey to contend this weekend. My final pick to click this week for the Valspar Championship is Patrick Reed. He's ranked number seven in the world. He has not played since the Masters a few weeks ago, uh, where he finished tied for eighth. So he is coming into this thing rested. Patrick Reed's first on tour in putting, birdies are better, and second in strokes gained putting. So his putter's been on point this season. He's uh, leading the PGA Tour in those categories. And also, with regards to this specific tournament, he's been the runner-up twice here uh, in 2015 and 2018. So he knows how to play this course. If he can find the fairway, hit the greens in regulation, he's going to have a very good chance to not only compete uh, inside that top 25, but possibly win this thing. So I'm just looking forward to another good, exciting weekend of golf at a tough course. Uh, We get back to our normal tournament format this week, and uh, it should be some good golf with some big-name golfers out there. So it'll definitely be good to watch that this weekend. But we'll move on to our standings update portion of the podcast, and we'll start off in Major League Baseball. In the National League, the National League East, the Atlanta Braves are currently atop the division at 12 and 13, followed by the Philadelphia Phillies, who are also 12 and 13. The New York Mets are 9 and 10. Now, this past week for the Mets, Jacob deGrom, he's Cy Young winner, probably the best pitcher in baseball. He pitched an absolute gem this past week. He had a complete game shutout with 15 strikeouts. And he also added an RBI at the plate. And with that performance, Jacob deGrom set a Major League Baseball record for the most strikeouts in the first four starts of a season, which puts him at 50 strikeouts. And not only did he do that, at the time, Jacob deGrom had more RBIs this season, two, than earned runs allowed, one. Uh, The guy is just pitching on another level. Uh, He is just clearly a cut above everybody else. I guess you could say Garrett Cole might be close. Shane Bieber, too, for the Indians, you know, uh, but DeGrom is right up there. The the Mets just don't score runs, and there was an uh, Jacob DeGrom, uh, there was an incident later in the week where he pitched another beautiful game, and the Mets got shut out and lost uh, because they didn't score any runs for him. So tough break there for the Mets, but they're in third place in the NL East. Miami's uh, the Marlins are 11 and 13, and the Washington Nationals are 9 and 12. So again, a week later, and the division separation between first and last is only one game. So that is going to be competitive all year. In the National League Central, the Milwaukee Brewers are 15 and 10, St. Louis Cardinals 13 and 12, Pittsburgh Pirates 12 and 12, Cincinnati Reds 11 and 13. They've only won twice in their last 10. Chicago Cubs, they're 11 and 14. They had another monstrous offensive explosion over this past week. Uh, They're finally getting it together, but they're four games back in Milwaukee. Still, obviously, way more than plenty of time left, but uh, the Cubs are trending in the right direction. In the National League West, the San Francisco Giants, 
have passed the Dodgers at 16-9 and nine to sit atop the division. The Los Angeles Dodgers, though, are 16-10. and 10. Uh, They've only won three times in their last 10 games. They're, they're not, not going uh, in the right direction. Trevor Bauer just lost a game on Thursday night uh, pitching eight innings uh, and uh, only allowing a run or two, and they still lost. Uh, San Diego Padres are 14-12. and 12. The Arizona Diamondbacks, they've won eight out of their last 10. They're 13 and 12. They played a doubleheader the other day. Madison Bumgarner, the pitcher, he threw a complete game uh, without allowing a hit. Complete game shutout without allowing a hit. But it was not officially recognized as a no-hitter because the game was only seven innings as part of the doubleheader. Since all doubleheaders this year are seven innings, it was not recorded as a no-hitter, even though it was a no-hitter for seven innings. So that's a bummer for Madison Bumgarner, but uh, uh, Diamondbacks are playing really good baseball at the moment, and um, that's a tough division, Uh, especially you know the Dodgers and Padres are going to be good, but the Giants, the way they've been playing, that's going to make it even more difficult for Arizona to do anything. Uh, but last place in the NL West, the Colorado Rockies, uh, they're 9-16. and 16. Bump over to the American League. The American League East, the Boston Red Sox are 16-10. and 10. The Tampa Bay Rays are 13-13. and 13. Toronto Blue Jays are 11-12. Baltimore Orioles, 11-14. And, and the New York Yankees are still in the basement of the AL East at 11-14. And 14. Um Again, they they got off to their worst start as a franchise, and they're kind of uh, they seem to be stuck in neutral. Uh, Stanton's getting his bat going finally, uh, but outside of Garrett Cole, the Yankees really do not have any pitching. Uh, in the American League Central, Kansas City Royals fifteen and eight, Chicago White Sox they're looking really good. They've won eight out of their last ten. They're fourteen and ten. Cleveland Indians eleven and twelve. The Minnesota Twins, they've won twice out of their last 10 games. They're 8-15. And And the Detroit Tigers have also won twice in their last 10 games. They're 8-18. In the American League West, uh, the Oakland A's, uh, their win streak got snapped at uh, 12 games, I believe. And they've kind of come back down to earth. They're 16-10. Seattle Mariners, 14-12. Los Angeles Angels, 12 and 11. Now, with the Angels, they have that, uh, of course, Japanese phenom Shohei Otani. He's a starting pitcher. He is a designated hitter. Uh, After his start this week, or before his start this week, uh, Otani, he was the first pitcher uh, in 100 years since Babe Ruth to start a game as a starting pitcher while also leading the league in home runs. He was tied for the major league lead in home runs at the time he made his pitching start this week. Something that hasn't been done in 100 years. So, uh, man, he's been fun to watch. Uh, He's finally becoming the player that the Angels thought he was a couple years ago when they uh, signed him over here from Japan. So uh, I'm curious to see if they're going to continue to keep him. Uh, The Angels have been having him as the designated hitter even on days that he's pitched, which is a very interesting thing. Normally, pitchers don't hit when they're pitching, but Otani's been able to do it all. So the Angels are third in the AL West. 
currently at 12 and 11. The Houston Astros are 13 and 12, and the Texas Rangers are 11 and 15. So that division separated by three games, probably a little closer than uh, you would have thought. Certainly, I would have thought. Being a Texas Rangers fan, uh, I thought the Rangers. If you'd have told me in their first 26 games they'd won 11 of them, I probably would have taken the under on that for sure. But uh, baseball is rocking and rolling, and uh, we are definitely in full swing with baseball. And it's glad to. I'm glad that baseball's back, uh, back to how it used to be. Uh, or it's getting there at least. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League, do a standings update there. We've had some more teams clinch some playoff spots uh, this past week. Uh, in the Discover Central Division, Carolina Hurricanes, 33-10-7. They have officially clinched a playoff spot. The Florida Panthers, 33-14-5. and They've also clinched a playoff spot. The Tampa Bay Lightning, 34-14-2. They've won four in a row. They have also clinched a playoff spot. So there is one playoff spot remaining in the Central Division. Fourth place team currently is the Nashville Predators, 27-22-2. The Dallas Stars are 21-17-12, just two points back of Nashville. One of those two teams will probably end up in the fourth spot. The Chicago Blackhawks are 22-22-6. The Detroit Red Wings are 17-26-9. And the Columbus Blue Jackets are 16-25-10. In the Honda West Division, we've had one more team from the West clinch a playoff spot this past week. Uh, The Vegas Golden Knights. They're 35-11-2. They've won 10 games in a row. They are looking very, very good at the right time. Colorado Avalanche are 31-12-4. They've lost three in a row, but both Vegas and Colorado uh, clinched playoff spots last week. The new team to clinch a playoff spot in the West is the Minnesota Wild. They're 31-14-4. Won seven out of their last ten. They're looking good at the right time as well. So there's only one playoff spot left in the West. Currently in the fourth spot, the St. Louis Blues at 23-19-6. Uh, They've won four in a row, seven out of ten. Arizona Coyotes, 21-24-5. They are five points back of St. Louis. going to be difficult to catch them. San Jose Sharks, 20-24-5. Los Angeles Kings, 18-23-6. They called up number two overall pick, Quentin Byfield, this past week, made his NHL debut. The Anaheim Ducks are 15-28-7. And And, uh, in the Scotia North Division, the only team so far in the Canadian Division to clinch a playoff spot that happened this week was the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're 32-13-5. They're on a four-game winning streak. They are nine points clear of the Edmonton Oilers, who are up into that second spot for the first time in a while. They're 29-17-2. They've won six out of their last ten. They overtook the Winnipeg Jets for the second spot. So the Jets, uh, have they won a head-to-head matchup against the Jets earlier this week as well. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets are third in the North Division, 27-19-3. They've lost five in a row. They're going in the wrong direction, but they're still six points clear of the fourth-place team, the Montreal Canadiens, who are 21-18-9. Now, Calgary Flames are fifth. At 22, 24, and 3. They're only four points back of Montreal. 
uh, a week or two ago, I wouldn't have assumed that Calgary was going to be able to catch Montreal, but they are very much in the hunt. The Ottawa Senators, uh, for the first time, I think all season, are not in last place in the North Division. Uh, they are one point in front of the Canucks with a record of 19-27-4. They've won six out of their last ten. Now, those Vancouver Canucks, they are in last place in the Scotia North Division at 19-22-3. They've lost three in a row. However, they have played the fewest games in the NHL, six games fewer than Ottawa, to be exact, due to their three-week COVID pause. So uh, they have some games in hand. I would suspect that Vancouver would overtake Ottawa for that sixth spot, but uh, neither one of those teams will be making the playoffs. In the Mass Mutual East division, uh, I do believe that this has officially become uh, the best division in hockey. Uh, well, statistically, the Central still is with three points uh, with 70 or more point, uh, three teams with 70 or more points, but the Mass Mutual East uh, is definitely the most competitive. This past week, there have been two teams to clinch a playoff spot, and those would be the top two teams currently. The Washington Capitals are 32-13-5. They've won seven out of their last ten. The Pittsburgh Penguins are 33-15-3. They've also won seven out of their last ten. The Capitals and the Penguins both have clinched a playoff spot, so they are in. The New York Islanders are 30-15-5. Boston Bruins, 29-14-6. They've won eight out of their last ten. The New York Rangers... 26, 19, and 6. They've won 7 out of their last 10. They are 6 points back of the Bruins for that 4th spot. I think Boston's too good, uh, especially with that deadline acquisition of Taylor Hall. I don't see the Rangers catching the Bruins, but what's crazy is that the New York Rangers' goal differential as it sits at the moment is plus 31, and they are... uh, most likely going to miss the playoffs with that goal differential. That's insane. The sixth place team, the Philadelphia Flyers at 22-21-7. They've only won three times in their last 10 games. The New Jersey Devils are 16-27-7. They've also won only twice uh, in their last 10 games, both of which being the last two games they've played. And then in the basement of the East Division, the Buffalo Sabres, 13-31-7. 13-31-7. They've been hanging out there at the bottom of the East all year. I don't expect that to change. But uh, we are wrapping up this NHL season very, very quickly. Uh, it will conclude in the next week and a half, two weeks, because most teams have played around 50 games. The regular season is only 56 games this year. So there are some teams that only have four games left in the regular season. And so, like I said, in the next couple weeks, the season is going to be wrapped up. But uh, by next week's episode, we should have uh, a vast majority of the playoff teams already clinched. Uh, Like I said, there's only one spot left in the Central, one spot left in the West, three spots up for grabs in the North Division, and two spots up for grabs in the East Division. So we should have some more clarity on the NHL playoff situation Uh, on next week's episode but we'll zip over to the national basketball association do a standings update there we'll start off in the eastern conference the top team in the east at the moment is the brooklyn nets at 43 and 20 
Uh, they're on a four-game winning streak. They've got Kevin Durant back. Kyrie Irving looks good. Uh, they've clinched a playoff spot officially in the East. No surprise there. Second place team, the Philadelphia 76ers. They've also clinched a playoff spot this past week. They're 41 and 21. Milwaukee Bucks are 38 and 24. New York Knicks are the fourth seed in the East. That is unbelievable. 35 and 28. They've won nine out of their last 10 games. One of the hottest teams in the NBA right now. And they are just proving night after night that they are not fraudulent and that Julius Randle is an elite talent. Fifth place team is the Atlanta Hawks, 34 and 29. Sixth place, Boston Celtics at 33 and 30. Now, as I talked about last week, the top six teams get in, uh, seed seven through 10 will have a play-in tournament to determine the final 7th and 8th seeds for the playoffs. Currently, the 7th spot in the East, the Miami Heat, 33-30. and 30. The 8th seed, the Charlotte Hornets, 30-32. and 32. Indiana Pacers, 29-33. and 33. And the 10th place seed currently, the Washington Wizards, at 28-34. and 34. They've won 9 out of their last 10. They are making a very strong push uh, to get into that play-in tournament. The Chicago Bulls are the first team on the outside of that play-in tournament at 26 and 36. Toronto Raptors are 26 and 37. The Cleveland Cavaliers are 21 and 41. The Orlando Magic are 19 and 43. And the Detroit Pistons are 19 and 44. Now in the Western Conference, two teams in the West have clinched a playoff spot. That would be the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. The Utah Jazz currently are first at 45 and 17. The Phoenix Suns are second, 44 and 18. They've won seven out of their last 10. The Los Angeles Clippers are 43 and 21. They've also won seven out of their last 10. The Denver Nuggets are 42 and 21. They've won four in a row and eight out of their last 10. So they are playing really good basketball at the moment. The Los Angeles Lakers finally got Anthony Davis back. And uh, they are 36-26, and 26, currently the five seed. They've only won four times in their last ten games. I think they will probably end up finishing either in the fifth or sixth spot. Uh, not sure when LeBron's coming back. <clears throat> Should be soon. Uh, he's been out uh, at least a month with that high ankle sprain. The sixth seed currently in the West is the Dallas Mavericks at 35-27. and 27. And they've won six out of their last ten. The, the first team uh, <clears throat> in the play-in tournament at the moment, the seventh seed in the West is the Portland Trail Blazers at 34-28. and 28. And now they've only won three times in their last ten games. The Memphis Grizzlies are the eighth seed at 31-30. and 30. San Antonio Spurs are ninth at 31-30 and 30 as well. And the Golden State Warriors... They are 31 and 32. They're the last place uh, team or the last team to get into uh, these, this play in tournament at the moment. They are three games in front of the New Orleans Pelicans, who are 28 and 35. Now, back up to Golden State. Steph Curry has just had an absolutely historic month shooting the basketball from three point range. Last week, I talked about. Uh, Steph Curry streak of 11 games where he scored 30 points uh, per game. 
in that 11-game stretch, averaging 7.1 three-pointers made per game. Well, this past week, Steph Curry made his 83rd three-pointer of the month, which passed James Harden for the most three-pointers made in a single month in NBA history. So agree with it or not, uh, this month of shooting has placed Steph Curry's name into the mix for MVP of the league. I do not believe he is a legitimate threat to win the NBA MVP award, but with that performance, he's keeping Golden State alive in that play-in tournament. Uh, you got to put his name up there. So I mentioned the Pelicans are three games back of the Warriors for that 10th spot at 28 and 35. Sacramento Kings are the last team in the West that are mathematically eligible to catch the Golden State Warriors. They're 25 and 37. And there's three teams in the Western Conference that have been mathematically eliminated from playoff contention. The first one is the Oklahoma City Thunder, 21 and 42. They've only won once in their last 10 games. The Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, they've been in the cellar all season. They're 20 and 44. They do uh, have a four-game winning streak going, though. Uh, too little, too late, I suppose. And the last place team in the Western Conference, the Houston Rockets, 16 and 47. They've won twice out of their last 10. Uh, they are actually the worst team in the entire NBA uh, by the record. So the NBA season uh, is also coming to a close. Their 72-game regular season. A lot of these teams have played uh, between 60 and 65 games so far. So uh, we are a um, little less than 20 games each left for you know all the teams to finish their regular season. So we still have about a month left of the NBA's regular season. So uh, we know two playoff teams uh, in each conference at the moment, and I would suspect that uh, by next week's episode we should have a couple more teams clinch playoff spots, probably in the Western Conference, uh, maybe another one in the Eastern Conference as well. But NBA season's also coming to an abrupt close here soon, and it's been a good Good year of basketball, a lot of injuries, but uh, still uh, working our way through the season and uh, we're gearing up for some NBA playoff basketball that uh, is looking like it is not going to disappoint one bit. But we'll move on to the National Football League and the NFL Draft, which was this past week. It's actually still finishing up as I record this podcast the first round was uh, Thursday, second and third rounds were Friday, and the uh, fourth through the seventh rounds are were Saturday. So uh, there was plenty of drama actually before the draft even started regarding the Green Bay Packers and quarterback Aaron Rodgers, who has come out and said that he's uh, does not want to play for the Packers organization again. He's very unhappy and basically said he's not playing, which is problematic because he's under contract. So the Packers have already come out and said that they're not trading Rodgers, and they didn't really make any moves this weekend in the draft that indicated that he was going to be traded or they weren't necessarily preparing for him to be traded. So uh, that is an interesting development there. We'll have to see how Aaron Rodgers... Uh, fares in that, and if he decides to just straight up retire or sit out, I doubt he just sits out. I think if he's sitting out, he's going to retire. Uh, interesting note about Green Bay Packers quarterbacks. 
No quarterback in the history of their organization has played 17 seasons uh, with the team. The legendary Bart Starr and Brett Favre both played 16 seasons with the Packers before moving on, and Aaron Rodgers just finished his 16th season with the Packers. So that would be very interesting if Rodgers did not finish uh, or did not start his 17th season. But before the draft, we had a couple of trades this past week that, uh, that went down. The first one was a big one. It involved the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs. Two AFC rivals uh, made a big trade. <clears throat> and in that trade, the Ravens, they sent offensive tackle Orlando Brown, pro bowler, a second-round pick this year and a sixth-round pick next year to Kansas City. And the Chiefs sent over their first, third, and fourth-round picks this year, along with a fifth-round pick next year. Quite a bit of moving pieces in that one, but the Chiefs got their franchise left tackle to keep Mahomes' blindside protected. We saw, obviously, how problematic that was in the Super Bowl, so that was a huge addition for the Chiefs. They've also made another, um, you know, they drafted a, a center uh, in the draft already, and we'll get into all that, but uh, they're making improvements on that offensive line. But the other trade that went down before the draft was the Carolina Panthers and the Denver Broncos. The Carolina Panthers traded quarterback Teddy Bridgewater to the Broncos in exchange for a sixth-round pick, which basically makes Bridgewater and Locke the, the quarterbacks in Denver, of course, because Carolina has Sam Darnold. This was interesting because I think this trade basically took Denver out of the quarterback market at nine, which we'll get into here in a second. Really kind of screwed uh, screwed over my Dallas Cowboys, which, you know, I think Bridgewater is an adequate average level quarterback. So if you don't like what Drew Locke's putting out there, I think Drew Locke will probably be the starter heading into the season. But now they have a, a solidified their backup spot with Bridgewater. So the first round of the draft comes up, and that was Thursday night. There were several trades that went down uh, in the first round. So I'm just going to go over the picks of the first round and how they went down. And uh, we'll talk about the trades along the way. But the first overall pick, Jacksonville Jaguars took Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback from Clemson, which is not a surprise. That's what we knew all along. He's a franchise player, uh, the best best quarterback prospect to come out since Andrew Luck. Uh, he has been a Jaguar since the Jaguars finished the season with the first overall pick. No surprise there. The New York Jets picked second, and they got Zach Wilson, quarterback from BYU. He's been rising up draft boards. Um, I, you know, I projected him in my mock draft that I did on last week's episode to go here. That's kind of been the consensus for a while, and that really solidified that spot after his pro day workout. Uh, I think he pretty much became the second overall pick after he put on a show at his pro day. But the draft really started with the third pick, the San Francisco 49ers. They had traded up and given up the next two years' worth of first-round picks and some other picks to move up from the 12th pick to the third pick. And you knew it was for a quarterback. You just didn't know which one. 
it was either going to be Trey Lance, Mac Jones, or Justin Fields. Uh, rumors all the last couple weeks said it was Mac Jones. I projected Justin Fields. However, neither was correct because they ended up taking Trey Lance, the quarterback from North Dakota State. Now, I mentioned he only has 17 career starts at the FCS level. He only threw in his basically year, one year of, of game, game film, he threw... Uh, 318 pass attempts, which is the fewest ever by a first-round quarterback. Previous to that was Mike Vick with 343. So he's the fewest pass attempts ever by a first-round quarterback coming out. <clears throat> now, Trey Lance is an athletic freak. Uh, he's, he's super mobile. He's got a cannon of an arm. He's probably the most interesting prospect in this draft based on his limited game uh game experience and uh, game film. But uh, that meant that their quarterbacks went one, two, and three in the draft this year. There's been only two other times in the common draft era that quarterbacks have gone one through three in the draft. It was 1971 with Jim Plunkett, Archie Manning, and Dan Pastorini, and then 1999 with Tim Couch, Donovan McNabb, and Achilles Smith. So... We had quarterbacks go off the board, one, two, three. Now, the fourth pick belonged to the Atlanta Falcons. And you figured, in my mock draft that I did, I had Kyle Pitts, the tight end, going there, and that's exactly what happened. The Falcons took Florida tight end Kyle Pitts. He's the best non-quarterback in this draft, probably the best athlete at any position in this draft. He comes in basically as a... Travis Kelsey slash Darren Waller type of player immediately. And you pair him with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, and that offense in Atlanta is frightening. The fifth pick belonged to the Cincinnati Bengals. They, instead of getting Joe Burrow some blindside help with two high-level offensive linemen sitting there, they opted to go for the flashy Jamar Chase, wide receiver from LSU who was Joe Burrow's former teammate in college. So that they have the chemistry, they have the connection, and I get that. They're going to make some special touchdown plays in Cincinnati. But if I'm Joe Burrow, I'm, you might regret this because the last time we saw Joe Burrow on the field, his knee was going the wrong way. And that's because he had no protection. And so I get the chase pick because of the connection. And I wonder how much Burrow had uh, as an influence on that pick because you had two offensive tackles sitting there that are both franchise tackles. But uh, so the Bengals went with chase. The Miami Dolphins at number six, they have two Atagavaloa. They had two Alabama receivers sitting there to reunite with Tagovailoa. It's just a matter of which one did they want. They ended up picking Jalen Waddell. Uh, wide receiver, of course, from Alabama. They reunite him with Tua Tagovailoa. <clears throat> Seventh pick belonged to the Detroit Lions. They took the offensive tackle, Penne Sewell, that most thought Cincinnati was going to take. Again, franchise left tackle. You can play him left tackle or right tackle. Uh, I think the Lions have said they're going to play him at right tackle. But either way, he's a franchise piece in that offensive line. This was the first true surprise of the draft at number eight, the Carolina Panthers. 
They drafted J.C. Horn, the cornerback from South Carolina, which he, he had been really kind of rising up draft boards these last uh, few weeks or so uh, with his pro day workout. You figured the Panthers, again, there was Rashawn Slater was sitting there to help protect Sam Darnold, or you could have taken uh, a weapon for Sam Darnold like Devontae Smith, but they opted to go on the defensive side of the ball at corner. So that was the very first surprise of the draft. The number nine pick belonged to the Denver Broncos. And with that Bridgewater trade that we just had talked about, that basically removed them from the quarterback market. Now, they did have Justin Fields and Mac Jones sitting there for them, but they opted to go Patrick Sertain the second corner out of Alabama at number nine, which really pissed me off as a Cowboys fan because the Cowboys were at 10, and the Cowboys were rumored to be taking either Horn or Sertain, and they go eight and nine. So that brings us to the 10th pick. <clears throat> the Cowboys are sitting there, and they ended up, both of their corners are gone, so they ended up getting a phone call from the division rival Philadelphia Eagles who wanted to move up two spots. So the Cowboys and the Eagles made a trade. They flip-flopped the 10th and the 12th picks, and the Eagles threw in an additional third-round pick. So the Eagles picked at 10, and it was pretty clear who they were moving up to get, and that was Devontae Smith, the wide receiver from Alabama, who is reunited with Jalen Hurts, the quarterback who played at Alabama before Oklahoma. So you had a Heisman Trophy winner to that wide receiving core that desperately needs a playmaker. That was a great pick for Philly. And then the biggest trade of the first round was at the 11th pick. That belonged originally to the New York Giants. Okay, and the Giants ended up getting a phone call from the Chicago Bears who wanted to move up because you have two of the five quarterbacks sitting there. And the first, their first option was Justin Fields, okay? And so the Bears ended up making a massive trade to move up from number 20 to number 11 and taking Justin Fields. So the Bears got their franchise quarterback. They gave up a, a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick next year to do so. So they ended up taking Justin Fields at 11. The 12th pick, again, we just talked about the Cowboys moved down from 10 to 12, flop, uh, flip-flop with the Eagles, and the Cowboys ended up taking Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State. The uh, guy's an athletic monster, 6'3", 245, runs a 4'3", 940, just an absolute specimen uh, of an athlete. Great pick by the Cowboys, helps uh, solidify that uh, middle of that defense. Uh, he's, an, he's an elite athlete, an elite playmaker on defense. That's what the Cowboys desperately needed. 13th pick belonged to the LA Chargers. They took Rashawn Slater, the offensive lineman from Northwestern. They didn't expect him to be there. That was a fantastic pick. Slater should have been gone inside the top 10. He wasn't. Chargers take advantage and give Justin Herbert his left tackle of the future. The next, the 14th pick belonged um, originally to the Minnesota Vikings, but the New York Jets traded up uh, to move back up to get, they moved up nine spots, the Jets did, to get their uh, 
left guard of the future in Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard from USC. So they draft Zach Wilson with the second overall pick. Of course, they drafted Makai Becton, the massive offensive tackle uh, in the first round last year. So they ended up giving uh, Zach Wilson, trading up to get him some more protection up front on that left side of the line with Elijah Vera Tucker. Great pick by the Jets. <clears throat> 15th pick was the New England Patriots. And they had been rumored all week to be trading up to inside the top 10 so they could draft Alabama quarterback Mac Jones because there's no way that he was going to slide down to 15. Well, guess what? He slid down to 15. Falls right into the lap of the Patriots. So Mac Jones goes to New England. Uh, the 16th pick, and that's just, let me say this, that is just the most New England thing ever, right? Like, they, it's a crime that they didn't even have to move up to get the guy that they wanted. I feel like it should have cost them at least a first-round pick next year, but he literally fell right into their lap. The 16th pick was the Arizona Cardinals. They took Zayvon Collins, the linebacker from Tulsa. Big dude, 260-pound linebacker. Good in coverage. Pair him with last year's first-round pick, linebacker Isaiah Simmons. 17th overall pick, the Las Vegas Raiders took offensive lineman Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. I think that was probably a reach, maybe a little high for Leatherwood. Um, he's a good player, but uh, just not really projected to go at that point in the draft. But again, that is another true Raider move, taking players that uh, aren't supposed to be taken in the first round. The Raiders are usually good at doing that. The 18th pick was the Miami Dolphins. This was their second pick of the first round. They went on the defensive side of the football. They drafted Jalen Phillips, the defensive end from Miami. And Phillips is an elite talent. He was the number one overall high school recruit coming into college. Had some injuries. But if this, this dude can stay healthy, he's probably the best true pass rusher in this draft. Uh, 19th pick was the Washington football team. They took linebacker Jameen Davis from Kentucky. Uh, again, another athletic specimen. That defense in Washington that they are building, my God. Uh, their offense is not great, especially uh, after uh, losing. Well, I mean, they had Alex Smith that really kind of helped them last year. Um, Dwayne Haskins obviously is gone. So they got Ryan Fitzpatrick to fill that spot, and they got Curtis Samuel in the offseason. So they, they might not score a whole lot of points, but you know what? They're not giving up a whole lot of points because that defense is just fierce. And you add a linebacker like Davis in that group, and that's just not even fair. The 20th pick uh, originally belonged to the Chicago Bears, but they moved up to 11 with the New York Giants. So that sent the Giants down to the 20th pick, and they took wide receiver Kadarius Toney from Florida. And Toney is a absolute playmaker. He's got video game speed, video game moves, uh, and he's just the exact opposite of a wide receiver like Kenny Galladay that they signed in the offseason. So it's going to be the Giants' offense is going to be very, very good this year. Uh, Tony is just a weapon. He can return punts and kicks and has a great pick by uh, the Giants. 21st pick was the Indianapolis Colts. They went with Quiddy Pay, defensive end from Michigan. Uh, good, solid pick there. That is a very Colts-like pick as well. The 22nd pick, Tennessee Titans took Caleb Farley, corner from Virginia Tech. 
Now, Farley, had he not had a back procedure a month ago, he would have probably been a top 10 pick. But he had a back procedure. He did not play this past year. He opted out. And so his stock kind of slid, and the Titans were able to get him with the 22nd pick. That end up, that could end up being one of the steals of the first round if he pans out to be how he's projected to be. The 23rd pick in the first round originally belonged to the Jets, but the Vikings moved down from 14 to 23. Minnesota Vikings took Christian Derrissaw, offensive tackle from Virginia Tech. Good solid pick there for their line. You know, they, they based a lot of their offense on Dalvin Cook in the run game. So they took uh, Derrissaw to solidify that offensive line. Now, the 24th pick in the first round belonged to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And again, a very Steeler-like pick here. Running back Najee Harris from Alabama. Uh, dude, 6'3", 230 pounds. Just an absolute monster. Um He's good at catching passes, blocking, uh, pass blocking, and of course he's got deceptive speed for a dude his size. So Harris is a great fit in uh, in Pittsburgh, and if you want an early fantasy football prediction, I think Najee Harris may end up being a, a potential first-round pick in fantasy football this year. 25th pick belonged to the Jacksonville Jaguars. It was their second pick of the first round, and they took running back Travis Etienne from Clemson. But they took Trevor Lawrence from Clemson with the first overall pick. So that made the Jaguars the first team in the common draft era to draft both a quarterback and a running back from the same college team in the first round. So interesting. I think Trevor Lawrence had a thumbprint on that. Uh, Etienne's a playmaker. Um, Great at catching passes out of the backfield. And uh, that connection with Lawrence is... Definitely going to show. 26th pick in the first round, Cleveland Browns took Greg Newsom the second corner from Northwestern. A great lengthy corner there, uh, good value at that spot. The Baltimore Ravens, 27th overall pick, they took wide receiver Rashad Bateman. Bateman's a big kid, 6 feet, 200 pounds, good red zone target. Ravens desperately needed a red zone receiver. Uh, they signed Sammy Watkins in the offseason. They got Marquise Brown, uh, but Bateman's going to come in and immediately give them an absolute red zone threat. 28th pick, New Orleans Saints took Peyton Turner, defensive end from Houston. 29th pick, the Green Bay Packers. All these rumors surrounding Aaron Rodgers possibly retiring, sitting out, leaving, getting traded, and they decide to take cornerback Eric Stokes from Georgia. Stokes has elite speed. He's got 4-2 speed. Uh, problem is he's on the defensive side of the football. So if Aaron Rodgers leaves, that does not help their offense out. The 30th overall pick was the Buffalo Bills. They took Gregory Rousseau, defensive end from Miami. Rousseau had uh, opted out last year, and for the first set of mock drafts that came out during draft season, Rousseau was uh, in the top 10 to 15. So that was good value for the Bills. Uh, The 31st pick originally belonged to the Chiefs, but because of that pre-draft trade involving the Chiefs and the Ravens, the Ravens took possession uh, of the 31st pick, and they took Jason Owe, the outside linebacker from Penn State. This dude's 6'5", 257, and he ran a 4'3", which is outrageous. Um, He didn't have any sacks last year. He's an edge rusher. He's a hybrid 4'3", linebacker, 3'4", defensive end. Um, the dude can can play, 
And in, a, in the AFC that's competitive, you need to be able to get after Patrick Mahomes, and that's exactly what uh, the Ravens wanted to do with that. The last pick of the first round belonged to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They took outside linebacker Joe Tryon from Washington. Uh, and that's just a, that's a good solid pick. They don't really have any needs, so that was just a depth pick there. And, uh, man, Buccaneers keep getting stronger and stronger. But a couple of notes from that first round. Uh, it was basically a draft of the reunions because Cincinnati reunited Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase. Miami reunited Tua Tagovailoa with Jalen Waddell. And Philadelphia Eagles reunited Jalen Hurts with Devontae Smith. And speaking of those Alabama players, there were six Alabama players drafted in the first round, all of which were inside the top 24. And that is the uh, most tied for the single uh, most picks in the first round by the same school in the common draft era. So just an absolute uh, legendary program there at Alabama. And uh, the second and third rounds were also good. There were some good players that slipped into that second round. Um, but, yeah, we could go over the draft all, all day. But um, check out the uh, draft results and see where your, what your favorite team did. And uh, NFL draft, again, is one of my favorite uh, parts of the entire year. And so I'm just glad that we were able to uh, – get through this weekend and, and hopefully uh, get, get on to some OTAs and some mini camps. But we'll move to our segment called Around the Island, which is where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. And we'll start off in the National Hockey League. Longtime NHL goalie Ryan Miller has announced that he is going to be retiring at the end of the season here in about a week, week and a half. Uh, Ryan Miller is 40 years old, and he's played with the Buffalo Sabres, St. Louis Blues, and the Vancouver Canucks. He won the 2009-2010 Vesna Trophy as the league's top goalie. He has 390 wins in his career, which is the most ever for an American-born goalie. That's 14th in NHL history as well. He's got 44 career shutouts, 794 games played, which is uh, second for an American goalie. And he's probably most remembered. Of course, he hasn't won a Stanley Cup playing with, with those teams that he's played on. But uh, he's probably most remembered for the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver when he helped Team USA get a silver medal uh, in which they lost in the gold medal game in overtime when Sidney Crosby scored on him, the golden goal. But Ryan Miller's save percentage throughout that Olympics was like 960. It was outrageous. And without him, uh, Team USA would not have made it to the gold medal game. So uh, I doubt he gets into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, but either way, a hell of a career for uh, Ryan Miller. But some other NHL news. Uh, the Seattle Kraken, which is the uh, new expansion team. We haven't talked about them in a while. The Seattle Kraken have uh, officially made their final payment uh, in total of $650 million to become the league's 32nd NHL franchise, officially. So after finishing that last payment, the Seattle Kraken are now open for business. They are free to make trades and sign players um, this offseason. And of course, the expansion draft is going to be held in July, and they will be taking a player from every team, very similarly to what the Vegas Golden Knights did a few years ago. Uh, 
that worked out well for the Knights because they went to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year. So uh, things are looking good for Seattle, but it is official now that uh, Seattle, once we get through the Stanley Cup playoffs, there will be 32 teams in the NHL. But we'll move over real quick back to the National Football League. few things to talk about. First one, notable free agent signing, uh, wide receiver Antonio Brown. He has re-signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on a one-year, $3.1 million deal. So basically, uh, we already talked about this a couple episodes ago, but the Buccaneers have officially uh, re-signed, and they're bringing back all 22 starters on both sides of the ball, all 11 on offense and all 11 on defense. And this Antonio Brown re-signing basically confirms that uh, they have – the exact same starters they're rolling out this year as they did last year, which is just unbelievable. It's never been done before by a Super Bowl champion. And uh, I would fully expect Tampa Bay to be uh, in and around the Super Bowl again this year. But from a free agent signing to a retirement, uh, longtime Dallas Cowboys linebacker Sean Lee announced his retirement from the NFL after 11 seasons. Uh, Sean Lee was a two-time Pro Bowler and a first team all-pro selection uh, during his career. He's only 34 years old, um, but he finished with 995 tackles, 14 career interceptions, five fumble recoveries, and four sacks over those 11 seasons. Now, the reason that he's retiring is because he's had a severe injury history, just uh, seems to miss games every season. 34 is not, uh, is not I would say it's older than normal for the NFL nowadays, but um, there's still guys that are playing, uh, you know, into their mid to late 30s. But uh, Sean Lee, he missed 58 out of a possible 176 career games due to various injuries. So that's basically, uh, you know, a quarter of the games that he was eligible to play in, he missed because of injuries. So. That's what I'm talking about with that injury history. Um, He certainly is not going to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, He may potentially get into the Cowboys' ring of honor at some point, but uh, that'll be the extent of that. But uh, Cowboys went ahead and basically drafted his replacement in Micah Parsons in the first round uh, this past weekend. So uh, both linebackers are from Penn State. But the final piece of NFL news, uh, the NFL and the NFL Players Association, they've agreed on modified COVID protocols for this upcoming season. So basically, players who get fully vaccinated uh, are no longer going to be subject to daily testing, and they will also no longer be forced to quarantine if they are identified as a high risk or close contact to somebody with COVID. And then lastly, Uh, Fully vaccinated players also do not have to submit to any lengthy entry testing following travel. So uh, the NFL is certainly encouraging uh, vaccination uh, for its players, and they are definitely making it worth your while. And I've been saying that all along. I think the sooner everybody gets vaccinated, the sooner we can just get things back to the way they are or were prior to this pandemic. But we'll move over real quick to the PGA Tour And this past week, Adam Scott, who is the number 36th ranked golfer in the official world golf rankings, announced that he is skipping the 2021 Summer Olympics in Tokyo. Now, he cited family as the main reason. Uh, Adam Scott is from Australia. He lives there, and he's gone for 
a month or month and a half at a time when he's playing on tour here in the U.S. So uh, he is going to be taking that time to be at home with his family. Uh, interestingly enough, Adam Scott also skipped the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio, so he did not participate in that. Of course, Justin Rose from England won the gold medal in that Olympics. But uh, Adam Scott's announcement came uh, just five weeks after world number one Dustin Johnson announced that he is going to be skipping the Olympics as well. Uh, he would, of course, been playing for Team USA, Dustin Johnson, but he is going to be skipping. Dustin Johnson cited um, the, he wanted to focus on the, the PGA Tour golf events leading up to and following the Olympics, in which case um, the Olympics are two weeks after the Open Championship at Royal St. George's and one week prior to the World Golf Championship FedEx St. Jude Invitational in Memphis. So um, after being in England for the Open Championship, Dustin Johnson wants to come back and focus on the WGC uh, FedEx St. Jude Invitational instead of going and playing in the Olympics. I can respect that. Uh, the Olympics is more of a pride thing. You don't really get paid for that. Um, your career is on tour, and um, I don't. I would probably take the chance to represent my country in the Olympics, especially as the world's top golfer. But uh, I certainly can respect DJ's decision on that. But we move over to college basketball. Uh, Hall of Fame women's head coach Kim Mulkey this past week announced that she's leaving the Baylor Bears to become the head coach of the LSU Tigers. Now, Kim Mulkey was born and raised in Louisiana, so it's a bit of a homecoming for her. Now, Kim Mulkey is just the best coach, one of the best coaches in women's basketball history. Uh, she's a six-time national champion, three of them with Baylor, and she's the only person in either men's or women's college basketball history to win a national championship as a head coach, an assistant coach, and uh, as a player. And one of three people to do it uh, as a head coach and a player, joining Bobby Knight and Dean Smith in that category. Uh, Kim Mulkey has also led Baylor to three national titles. Right, We said three out of her six came from Baylor. Those were... 2005, 2012, and 2019, uh, as well as four Final Fours, six Elite Eights, and five Sweet 16 appearances. Uh, and that 2012 team uh, was the first team to go 40-0 and uh, in college basketball history, at least on the women's side. So uh, she is a fantastic coach. And in her inter uh, introductory press conference with LSU, uh, I saw a snippet of it. She basically counted the banners in the rafters, noting, you know, Elite Eight, Elite Eight, Sweet 16, Final Four. Uh, but she noted that a national championship banner was missing. And she stated that her goal was to bring a national championship to Baton Rouge. Well, that's everybody's goal. Uh, but there's very few that can actually accomplish that. And Kim Mulkey is certainly a program changer for a head coach, and I do believe that at some point she will get the LSU Tigers uh, to a national championship. But f moving over to college football now, this past week the college football playoff subcommittee uh, officially presented their expansion ideas for up to 16 teams. Uh, they met this past week and threw out 63 possibilities of change that were discussed, which included models of 6, 8, 10, 12, 
and 16 playoff teams, uh, which would be up from the current model of four playoff teams. Now, college football playoff executive director Bill Hancock said that nothing is imminent and that the current agreement is in place until the conclusion of the 2025 season. So we still have a few more seasons under this current agreement, but man, I am definitely a fan of playoff expansion. I just think that that's needed. Um, There's too many good teams in college football when we get to the end of the year that are being left out of the top four. And with the way that the recruiting has gone these last few years, five or seven years really, uh, it just seems that Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State will be in the national uh, playoffs, you know, the college football playoffs every year, which doesn't make it fun and or interesting. Now, there's some high-level football being played, but when you see the same teams over and over, it just doesn't have the same effect as if you were to switch it to a 16-team format or even a, a 10-team format. You get more teams, more likelihood for an upset, and uh, the outcome for a national title game would be different than it has been these last few years. So, uh, But that is going to wrap up the 38th episode of the Sports Island Podcast. I do appreciate you guys listening, as always. Uh, this podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. You can rate, review, and subscribe to it there. Tell your friends about it. You can also find it on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. So we have another good episode uh, coming down the pipe next week. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll have some more news out of all the sports Um OTAs and rookie minicamps are going to be getting going here in the NFL after the draft this weekend. So uh, stay tuned for more information on that. But until then, stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.